welcome to another edition of the Bible in the News. This is Paul Billington with you this week. Today we have visiting us Don Pierce from the United Kingdom, who will be familiar to readers of the Bible magazine because Don writes the Milestones update, which appear in every issue. So I wanted to get a British angle on world news as far as the Bible is concerned. So Don, how do you see things developing as far as Britain and Europe, Russia, Israel and the Middle East is concerned? I think that will give you plenty of scope today. I think so, Paul, thanks. Yes, there's so much happening at the moment. One has to be keeping an eye on so many aspects, some of which are developing in isolation, but so many are cause and effect. And I think all we're going to have time for is just a brief look at the EU. As you know, Paul, from your trips to Britain and from your understanding of Bible prophecy, Britain has to come out of Europe. In God's plan, she has a role that involves her independence of Europe and her linkage with Canada, America, Australia, India. In other words, the young lions that Ezekiel talks about in chapter 38 and verse 13. Now, a few years ago, to stand up and say that Britain must come out of Europe made you an object of ridicule, but not now. So what's changed, Don? Well, Paul, people's eyes have been opened as to what the EU is all about. Britain is a trading nation, and what she wants is access to the larger European market. What she didn't realise because our leaders deceived the population when Britain voted to join, was that it, it's all about political integration. That, of course, was the original aim of the founding fathers of what we call the EU, wasn't it? That's right, Paul. And, in fact, last Sunday was the 120th birthday of the founding father of the EU, Jean Monnet. And you remember what his philosophy was, and good Jesuit scheming. And Adrian Hilton, in this book, uh, Principalities and Powers of Europe, has made a fair and accurate prophecy of Monet's guiding aim. Read this paragraph, Paul, from page 84. I'll read it. Europe's nations should be guided toward a superstate without their people understanding what is happening. This can be accomplished by successive steps, each disguised as having an economic purpose, but which will eventually and irreversibly lead to federation. Uh, and that's right. And oh, how true those words are. The, the British are at last waking up to find that they've been caught in the EU net. But how can they escape? Well, there are various matters which are having a vital impact, and one is the financial crisis. This Britain and Europe, as well as over here, has been badly hit. And some small countries are virtually bankrupt and having to be bailed out, as well as the major banks in the stronger countries. Now, bear in mind that 15 of the 27 European countries have adopted the euro. And individual countries then have no control over their currency. They might each have a Chancellor of the Exchequer, but they're powerless to make major decisions on the way their currency goes. Now, in the good times, that didn't terribly matter, but it does in these times of financial strain. 
And what happens, Paul, is, is that they now recognise that the Eurozone countries need to have just one Chancellor of the Exchequer, and they can only do this by integrating politically and making a United States of Europe. That was the aim of the Constitution, which they're desperately trying to sort out, isn't it? Yes, Paul. Uh, Britain has signed up. Little Ireland hasn't. Uh, want me to tell you about that in a moment. Yet, the British public are still opposed to the idea of political integration. And that's why the British government refused to hold a referendum. They knew it would be rejected, which is exactly what the Irish did. And increasingly, the British become fed up with the, the never-ceasing flow of regulations from the EU, which is having a profound effect on the British economy and just at a time when we're sliding into a recession. Uh, take, take the payment that Britain, like all the EU members, has to pay into that bottomless EU coffer. Remember Margaret Thatcher famously won a rebate for Britain, but those days are past. Not only is the rebate being phased out, but extra costs are being added, so the bill will get bigger and bigger over the next few years. This year we paid £4 billion sterling for the dubious privilege of EU membership, increasing next year to £8 billion, which in Canadian terms is about £11 billion, or in American dollars about £9 billion. But, Paul, there's a double blow, because it has to be paid in euros, and the pound has fallen sharply against the euro, so... Not only is there a bigger bill to pay, we have to find an extra 20% or so more because of the pound's fall. So, uh, are these signs that enough is enough? I think so, Paul. In, in fact, there's a growing mood in Europe to make special arrangements for Britain because, frankly, she's becoming more and more a nuisance to Europe. They're being held back from increasing union by the obstinacy, as they see it, of the British. Didn't that fellow Giscard d'Estaing have something to say about this recently, Don? That's right. Um, in fact, <laughs> there's, there's been quite a succession of EU officials who've been speaking of Britain having to make up her mind whether she was for or against the United States of Europe. You remember a couple of years ago, the was it Luxembourg Prime Minister, he famously said the EU may have to move forward without Britain. And last year, Elmer Bopp, who's a close ally of the German Chancellor, Angela Merkel, he said to Britain, stop moaning or leave the EU. Very polite gentleman, And then she said, Gisela Stan was in London in September, and he said, uh, uh, notice language, very diplomatic. I suggest we end the permanent antagonism which weighs down our relationship and reduces our capacity for action by deciding to pursue the great movement for European integration in which we would agree to grant the UK a special status. In other words, we're going to integrate. We'll have to part Britain off in the sidings so that the rest can get on with integration. Now, the hand of the Vatican is behind much of the drive to integration. The founding fathers were all devoted Roman Catholics, weren't they? 
one can oh, see yes. the desire to roll back history, uh, take us back to the time of the old Holy Roman Empire, just as the scriptures foretold. Germany, we believe, must rise again with the help of the papacy. Yes, Paul. Obviously, you're not going to read about these things in the national press. One has to dig beneath the scenes. But there was a fascinating article in an Italian magazine. It was in September time. Uh, and the whole issue was devoted to religion and politics. And it included a long article, which was written by a well-respected Roman Catholic writer, that showed clearly that the Church is pursuing a political role. Speaking of Benedict, he wrote this. From the very beginning, Benedict XVI refused to imitate his predecessor, John Paul II. But this did not mark a rupture with him. He proceeded along the same path, but with his own unique stride. And that includes the theatre of international politics. Unlike his predecessor, Benedict is believed to be an apolitical, uh, as a non-political pope. But it's not true, he said. Ratzinger simply engages in politics in original ways. After his three years in the pontificate, they have been shown to be much more productive than many foresaw, as proven in part by the unexpected success of the Pope's recent trip to a highly secularised France. Quite a statement. In other words, he is deeply involved in politics. Very true, Paul. And this is where the humanist websites are so revealing. They are protesting at the ways in which the church is increasing its influence in Europe. They can see that Europe is becoming Catholic again, and they're very unhappy. But it shows us just how true the Bible is, how accurate it is. I know the Roman Church has been working with Germany to bring under the EU umbrella the countries of the Balkan region, which was formerly Soviet territory, wasn't it? Yes, and, and that, that's rather frightening in a way, because this is the area where, what, 70 years ago, there were carried out those terrible atrocities by the Yugoslav leaders who were working with the Roman Catholic Archbishop and his priests to forcibly convert the Orthodox inhabitants, as well as exterminating the Jews and the Gypsies. Edmund Paris, in his book, Vatican Against Europe, has some chilling chapters as Germany expanded her empire into this region in uh, those days. But today, church missionaries have been sent into Kosovo, and there's only a 3% Catholic population at the moment, in a drive to make Kosovo Catholic again, as it was centuries before, when the Muslim invasions of the Ottoman Emperor, Empire pushed into Europe. And incidentally, Europe is facing a similar invasion today. Many of the immigrants are Muslim, and many Europeans fear their growing influence. The political leaders of Europe seem afraid to stand up against them, Paul. But Benedict isn't. His rallying call is, make Europe Catholic again, and this will be the bulwark, as it was in the past, to keep out the Muslim influence. And a lot of people can see the sense of that. And the mood is changing in Europe. No longer is it thought essential to keep church and state separate, Yes, the, uh, the French president Sarkozy has quite a different attitude to his predecessor, 
Chirac. Sarkozy believes that European politics should be leavened with religion, doesn't he? True, Paul. And it's, it's all moving in the right direction. We have Russia rising and as, as an authoritarian power. We've got Germany rapidly growing as the leader of Western Europe. And we have the papacy re-flourishing again, as Daniel foretold in his fourth chapter. That Babylonian tree, which was symbolically cut down for seven times, is now re-flourishing, because we've come to the end of the seven times. Now that's interesting. Uh, so how long is this seven times, Don? Well, Paul, we work on the simple principle of a day representing a year. So, seven times, or seven years, which was the time period we understand that the, the great Babylonian king was cast out of his kingdom as a madman. So, seven years, so 360 days each, gives us 2,520 days. So, on the day for a year principle, we've been expecting the tree of the false religion of Babylon to reflourish again. So, 2,520 years after the fall of the city of Babylon brings us, according to John Thomas's chronology, to exactly 1978, which was precisely the start of the pontificate of John Paul II. Now, under his reign, Paul, the Vatican really flourished. In that year, the Vatican had diplomatic relations with just 92 countries, but now it stands at 176 and rising. You said something about Ireland and the Constitution a moment ago. Uh, is that relevant to this? It is very much so, Paul. And there's a fascinating blog site called Archbishop Cranmer. He keeps his identity quiet, so I won't say who it is, though we've actually mentioned his name. I mean, what I downloaded last night was a piece on the Roman Catholic Church and the EU. The Church broadly supports the EU Constitution because built into it are provisions to strengthen the Church and enable it to work in the politics of the EU. But no, that's another story, Paul. But, well, there's this Irish monthly newspaper available in the churches at the time that they were voting, and a cardinal wrote an article urging his readers to vote against the referendum to ratify the Constitution. And uh, like the cardinal believed passionately in Europe, yet, yet he observed that the, the aspirations and the visions of the founders of the EU may have been suffocated by layers of bureaucracy in recent years. And he actually said that the EU actually promotes a common evil rather than a common good. And there have been angry calls from Irish politicians that this magazine should have been banned. But this isn't Russia. We're supposed to have a free press. But, Paul, it, it gives us a hint of the dark days ahead as both Germany and the papacy grow in their power. Opposition to the great dream of the Fourth Reich is suppressed wherever possible. Well, Don, we can be very thankful, can't we, that we have the words that were spoken in the time of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel's prophecy, where it says that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men, and he gives it to whomsoever he will. 
We know it's God's will to give the kingdoms of this world into the hand of his Son, and so it is that we pray earnestly for that day when Jesus Christ will be king and the evil kingdoms of men will be swept away. Only then will the earth reflect the praise and glory to God. So join us again next week when we have another edition, God willing, of the Bible in the News. Bibleinthenews.com 